sketching that earlier. Um, so I want to show you some pictures here tonight and think about buildings, some buildings. I don't know if you knew this, but they have, they even have a council that evaluates tall buildings and urban habitats. Um, it's CTBUH is the name of the, the council, but basically they produced a list in 2014 of the tallest buildings upon which construction had been started but never finished. Never finished. So here is a picture. I realize it may be hard to read uh, these uh, individual uh, pictures we get here. Um, here's a list of the buildings. They rank them by the uh, tallest building that was started but never finished. So you're not going to be able to read all those, but basically the tallest one is this Nakheel Tower, and apparently it was started in 2008, and it was put on hold in 2009 when the builder went financially bankrupt or, or bust or whatever. Um, the project was supposedly going to be relaunched, but... Uh, it hasn't, and so it has remained uh, unbuilt, even though it was started um, after, you know, five years after they started the project at that time, 2014. And as far as I know, it's still not built. This was a picture of what it was supposed to look like, but uh, they never finished. They never finished it. Now, in addition to this, um, as you can see on the list, there are other tall buildings, and this one was supposed to be in Dubai, and several others on the top list are in Dubai as well, and there was also one from the neighboring uh, location of Doha, and so uh, the, the place where I got this quote, they were basically saying the Emirates obviously have a passion for tall towers, but sometimes projects don't go as planned. There was also the Chicago Spire, if you can see that one there, was also planned in Chicago and was started, um, but there was a, a financial crisis uh, and that led to a $77 million lawsuit against this developer that has killed that project. So, interestingly, um, they've got at least 10 on the list here, and I think their original list they produced had 20 that were listed, and these are modern large buildings that were started and never finished. Now, our Lord tells us in Luke 14, 28, that it's a, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's, it's a basic concept. When you're going to build a tower or a tall building, you sit down and you plan it out first. That's just basic human reasoning on what you should do. But we see here with these examples, and there are many others, that people failed to plan properly for their building projects and therefore we're not able to complete them. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 5 today and in 1 Kings chapter 5 we're going to see how this chapter talks about the planning process or the preparation process for the building of the temple. So in uh, chapters 6 and 7 uh, we're going to read at that point more about the building of the temple. And then in chapter 8 of Kings, we would see about the dedication of the, the temple. And then in chapter 9, uh, we see God appear to Solomon and give him 
a, uh, a, a promise and warning again in chapter 9 at the conclusion of the temple being built. But what we have here in chapter 5, I think, is a very important chapter about the preparation for the temple. Preparation is an important part of a big project. In fact, um, one of my children is an aspiring writer. Um, and we were talking yesterday at lunch about a project she'd like to write. And we were talking about all the different things that go into that. And we talked about you need to plan for the characters. You need to plan for the plot. You've you got to plan for how it's going to end because you need to know what you're writing towards, right? So there's, in a big project, whether it's a building construction or simply writing something, it takes planning. And planning is important to get it right. And we're going to see how the planning and preparation process here goes well in chapter 5. And the ultimate reason it goes well is because God is providing wisdom for his leader to carry out God's work. This temple building process is God's work, and he is using his leader, Solomon, giving him wisdom and direction so that he can carry out God's work of having the temple built. So, as we look at this, we're going to see how God provides, God provides for them in the process, all right? Before we start reading some verses, though, let's just go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive right into chapter 5, a short one tonight. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have written these things so that we can learn from them. And though there are some details in this chapter that may seem a, a little boring or in some ways we don't necessarily understand the importance, we see that this is an important chapter and I pray that you would encourage us with this chapter to see how you work and, and important uh, on the preparation process. Help us to be reminded of that and be encouraged also for how you provide for the work that you're doing. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, chapter 5, we're going to see the preparation for the temple that's going to take place. And we're going to see how God gives wisdom and provision to prepare for this work. All right? So, let's look at uh, verse 1. And we're going to read about God's provision of a relationship that's going to help the work go forward. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Now Hiram king of Tyre sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in the place of his father, for Hiram had always been a friend of David. Continuing on, it says, Then Solomon sent word to Hiram, saying, You know that David my father was unable to build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. Behold, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to David my father, saying, Your son whom I will set on your throne in your place, he will build the house for my name. Now therefore command that they cut for me cedars from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will give you wages, 
for your servants according to all that you say, for you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. All right, so we have here in these first few verses of this chapter an example of how God provides a relationship for this work to get done on the temple. So notice it is a relationship that started with David. It's kind of an interesting concept as you think about God's provision. Sometimes when we think of God's provision for things that we need, we tend to think of it as we need it right now. And God does something to give it to us right now. But in this case, God began providing for this work long before it started. And a part of how God was providing for this work long before was this special relationship with the king of Tyre because he was going to be a key person to provide resources for the children of Israel. So we have a friendship here with David. I want you to turn with me as well to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, we'll see how Hiram, the king of Tyre, provided things for David for his own house previously. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 11. 2 Samuel 5 and verse 11 talks about Hiram, king of Tyre. And it tells us there that he sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a house for David. So look at that. We have the king of Tyre has a friendship with David long before Solomon's building the temple, and he helped David at that time build a house. So, we have a relationship provided here with David and Hiram, the king of Tyre. And now, if you're not sure, um, Tyre is this little city here on the Mediterranean Sea here with Israel down here. So it's a little bit north of Israel. All right, so that's what we're talking about. And you notice it talks about uh, Tyre and the Sidonians. So it's, uh, it's believed there was probably he, the rule extended over a significant portion of that area, um, and that's why they're combined there. But um, he gave supplies to David earlier, and we're going to see now how Solomon builds upon this relationship and continues it, and it continues to be a profitable relationship for the work that's going to happen. Notice that Solomon uh, was contacted actually by uh, Hiram, and it told us actually at the end of chapter 4 how Solomon's wisdom went out throughout the earth. He, he had a reputation that was known. And then it begins chapter 5 telling us about how Hiram reaches out to Solomon because he hears that he has become king after David. So we see here that Solomon has wise negotiations with Hiram. Let's look at what he does here. First of all, he, appears to, he appeals to this relationship with his father David. So he, he talks about David, and then uh, he says, You know that David, my father, verse 3, was unable to build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. So he starts out by talking about the friendship with David, but he also explains his goal. He makes it very clear what he's trying to do. And then in verse 4, he identifies this as the ideal opportunity now. Because David couldn't do this work, surely Hiram, as a friend of David, 
had knowledge that David wanted to do this. And Solomon's saying, now's the ideal time. Look at verse 4. He says, but now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. So Solomon's appealing to Hiram to say, now's the time we should build. I need your help. So he also goes on and explains that this would be a fulfillment of God's promise to David. Look at verse 5. Behold, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to David my father, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in my place, he will build a house for my name. So he's saying, hey, this is also a fulfillment of what God promised. And then he gets down to the actual request in verse 6. So what's he asking for? Verse 6, we see that he says, now, therefore, command that they cut for me cedars from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will give you wages for your servants according to all that you say. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber, timber like the Sidonians. So, we see here he asks for the wood. He needs wood for the temple. He needs wood for the temple, and Tyre and the Sidonians are known for their wood. It's a mountainous terrain, and they grow uh, cedar trees. They're known for their cedar trees. And he wants to partner with Hiram, and he says he'll pay him. And notice how he closes his request. What does he say? He gives praise, right? He is praising Hiram and the, and the Sidonians here and saying, no one knows how to do this uh, as well as you do. So I'm coming to the best possible resource to get help on this project. So, how does Hiram respond? Verse 7, Hiram responds with glad acceptance. He says, when Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, blessed be the Lord today who has given to David a wise son over this great people. So, we see as the first provision of God in doing this work, is God has provided a key relationship which will be the means uh, through which he'll provide resources such as wood. So God uses people to help in the work that he wants done and God provides relationships for us in doing the work he intends for us to do. Let's think about the workplace. Have you had a situation where you've had to do something at work, a project or something, and you need to get something done, and a part of what makes it happen is you happen to know somebody who's good at this or that has responsibility for this kind of area, and you have a relationship, so you approach that person, and you ask, and you get help, and the work gets done. I think probably most of us have been working in the workforce, we've had situations like that, right? Or similar things happen in our families. Um, just a few weeks ago, I got a notice that my roof on my old house needed to be replaced. I don't know how to do a roof, but God had provided a relationship with my father-in-law who is good at all kinds of stuff, and it just happened that we had Memorial Weekend free. God, God gave us that relationship, 
and the time to get that work done. Now, we see that in our personal lives. We, we see that in the church as well, right? God provides the people to do the work that needs to be done. Our present membership is at Inner City Baptist Church, which is a very large church. There's been times when we've been at Inner City where I've wanted to, I want to have an opportunity to teach, or I, I wanted to help in a certain way. And you know, at a big church like Inner City, there's dozens of people that you wait in line to get opportunities to do those kind of things, right? I have said, because we were, we were at a small church in, uh, in Flint for a while, that you, you, can, you can do this too in a big church, don't get me wrong, but one of the things I like about a small church is you see how God provides people to do things because at a big church, many times, there's dozens of people to do that. In a small church, often there's only one person who can do it. And to make it work, that is the work of God. So we should rejoice in how God provides people to do these kinds of things. Of course, we should be willing to be those people to do the kind of work that's needed. But we should also have confidence God is going to provide people to do his work. We should trust him. We should pray about that. doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. We should definitely pray. And certainly you're praying right now for God to provide that next shepherd to lead in the work he intends for Ambassador Baptist to do. God provides people. God provides relationships. But we also see that he provides other resources that we need as well. And we see in uh, 7 through 12 here how he provides the wood. So it started with the relationship. It's based on the relationship with Hiram uh, and David and then now Solomon. But we see how this becomes a perpetual providing of the resources that they need throughout the projects. All right. So in verses 7 to 12, let's, let's read those. It says, When Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord today, who has given to David a son over his, this great people. So Hiram sent word to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message which you have sent me. I will do what you desire concerning the cedar and cypress timber. My servants will bring them down from Lebanon to the sea, and I will make them into rafts to go by sea to the place where you direct me, and I will have them broken up there, and you shall carry them away. Then you shall accomplish my desire by giving food to my household. So Hiram gave Solomon as much as he desired of the cedar and cypress timber. Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores, uh, 20,000 cores of uh, beaten oil. Thus Solomon would give Hiram year by year. The Lord gave wisdom to Solomon just as he promised, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a covenant. Now notice here, in the provision of the wood, we have the commitment here by Hiram in verse 8. He's saying, I'm going to do this. And he, and he praises, praises the Lord for giving uh, Israel a wise king uh, as the son of David um, over the people. And then he explains um, how the plan is going to work and how uh, Solomon is to pay him. So he says here that they're going to provide the wood and they'll bring them down 
from Lebanon to the sea, and then we'll float them down to the place where they'll direct him. So basically, he's saying they're going to get the wood, they're going to carry it down to the sea, and we said Tyre here, you see, is, is on the water, so it's easy for them to use the water to their advantage, and most scholars, as I understand, think it probably got taken down to Joppa, uh, a seaport in Israel. Uh, that's probably where the wood was taken down uh, so that they could get it there and then take it to Jerusalem to uh, build for the temple. All right. So we see this provision of wood here with Hiram. They have a plan. And we see that they make uh, the first exchange here. Uh, we talk, it talks about Solomon and what he gives to Hiram, and it says 20,000 cores of wheat. 20,000 cores of wheat. Um, I was looking at my notes. I think I wrote it on my yellow piece of paper over here, but I uh, want to be accurate in the estimated uh, numbers of what that would equal. All right, yes. Uh, 20,000 cores is estimated to be about 125,000 bushels. 125,000 bushels. I actually don't know how big a bushel is, but, uh, <laughs> right? I, I grew up in the city. I, I'm not a farm boy. Um, all right, so 125,000 bushels. And it says, uh, I think 20,000 20, 20, I think the King James says 20,000 baths, or in other words, 115,000 gallons of oil. 115,000 gallons. Now that is a lot of oil. All right, we do have some concept of a gallon, even if we don't understand a bushel. But um, So this is what Solomon provided, a significant provision for Hiram, and then this is going to be a yearly exchange. So this is going to be an ongoing thing while the temple is being built so they'll have the need, or the wood that they need to build the temple. Again, it is a reminder that God provides for the work. God provides people and God provides resources. In this case, they needed wood. And they have an ongoing agreement so they'll have a steady flow for the work that needs to be done. Um, another way we'll see, uh, but, but yes, let's look at verse 12. I wanted to remind us. We have this partnership that's happening with Tyre here in Israel, but who is the ultimate provider? It is God. Verse 12 says, The Lord gave wisdom to Solomon just as he promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a covenant. Ultimately, God is the provider. And the fact that they continued to have peace and continued to make this arrangement also was from God. Have not countries made agreements before that haven't been kept? Absolutely. But this is a time of peace, and God is providing for the work. That's important to see. It's God's work. We, uh, in this case, they are a part of it. They have a job to do. Solomon certainly has a key role, but ultimately it's God doing the work and God providing for the work that needs to be done. So we also see a provision of workers here. 
First uh, Kings five thirteen to sixteen. So there's some some math in here, but uh, some big numbers. But interesting. Let's look at verse thirteen to sixteen. It says, "Now King Solomon levied forced laborers from all Israel, and the forced laborers numbered thirty thousand men. He sent them to Lebanon, ten thousand a month in relays. They were in Lebanon a month and two months at home, and Adoniram was over the forced laborers." Now Solomon had 70,000 transporters and 80,000 hewers of stone in the mountains, besides Solomon's 3,300 chief deputies who were over the project and who ruled over the people who were doing the work. All right, so we have here the provision of workers. Now the first set are the helpers with the wood. They're going to help with the work that's happening with Tyre and getting these uh, cedars. And um, he says how this happens. He's got 10,000 that go, there's 30,000 total, but 10,000 go at a time for a month. And then they trade out, and then the next 10,000, and then the next 10,000. So it's one month on and two months off. Sounds like a great work schedule, doesn't it? Travel and work for a month and then have two off? Well, it's not quite as great as it seems because what this means is they have to spend four months helping with this project, and the other eight months they've got to work on their, their, their own homes and farms, taking care of their own stuff, whereas normally they would have 12. So there are workers provided, and I think it's interesting to note that this is the kind of thing that Samuel warned the Israelites would happen with a king. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 to 13, Samuel warns the people of Israel that when you get a king, he is going to take your sons and daughters and put them to work. He's going to have things for them to do. So this is simply a fulfillment of that warning that Samuel gave, and certainly many other kings after Solomon would do similar things. But there were 30,000 from Israel involved in doing this work of getting the wood on a rotating schedule. All right, so we also have a statement of 70,000 workers who were haulers or transporters, those that would carry things around. 80,000 that were hewers of stone, cutting out stones. Now this is incredible to think about. I mean, we, we look at construction projects today and we have so many modern conveniences that the nature of the work is so different than it used to be. They didn't have gigantic machines. To, they didn't have dump trucks to carry all this stuff in and, and drive it different places. They had to have people and animals to do this work. It's an incredible amount of labor involved in doing this work. But God was providing the people to help do this work so that it, it would get done. Uh, we have 150,000, and here's an interesting number. We have 3,300 in the hierarchy, or the, the managers, or the, the foremen, if you will. So if you do the quick math, you've got about 150,000 people, or if you want to include the other 30,000, and you have 3,000 that are management, what's the ratio of worker to manager? Somewhere between 50 and 60, right? So um, any of you 
Managers in here? Okay. How many people uh, report to you? Three. All right. Right. Um, I've had some management responsibilities at the, the university as well, and at, at most, I think at one time, it got to about 10 full-time employees. That's a full-time job. Now, I know, I know people that uh, work in the auto industry, they uh, may have, depending on what the nature of the work is, much more than that. Or, or plant managers uh, can have a lot of people that report to them. But 50 to 1, that's a significant number of people. Of course, they didn't have all the HR paperwork and uh, tax forms and everything that we have to fill out, and insurance claims and things, uh, and you know the sick and leave time issues to deal with. All right, but that was the nature of the uh, division of the work was about one to 50, one to 60, somewhere in that range. For the, so there had to be oversight in that work. So all of this speaks of a huge, big government machine that Solomon's uh, building here, right? All right, so I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. One, like we said, it's a warning that we saw with Samuel. A king is gonna take human resources to fulfill the things that they want done. Now, at least in this case, this work is temporary, but we also see, I think, an indication that this, this work is being done with wisdom. There is careful planning. There is organization to it. There is a purposeful organizing of the work that's appropriate for the work that needs to be done. And all of this, all of this is the provision of God to get the work done that he intends to finish. So it was a mammoth project, and yet God provided the workers to get the work done. Again, it's a, it's a lesson and encouragement to us that the work God has promised to get done is going to be done. He is going to provide the workers. Now, and I think there's this in interesting tension. If you think about it in terms of Matthew 9, Matthew 9 talks about praying for the Lord to send forth workers into his harvest, right? So yes, the Lord is going to provide and get the work done that he intends, but we have a responsibility to be praying for God to provide that. So it's absolutely right, as you started the service uh, this, morning, uh, this evening, to be praying for God's provision for that shepherd. That's one person to do the work. Um, it's absolutely right to be praying for additional people for God to bring to help do the work that needs to be done. We should be praying. Also, like the example in Matthew 9, he's talking to the disciples. In Matthew chapter 9, it's at the, I believe it's at the end of the chapter, he says, pray that, to the Lord that he'll send forth workers into his harvest. And then in chapter 10, what does he do? He sends his disciples to go out and preach, right? So we pray, but we also have to be willing and ready to be part of the ones fulfilling that prayer and doing the work. All right, so we also see provision here of stone. We have wood, we have people, we have the stone here, it says in verse 17. It says, the king commanded, they quarried 
the great stones, costly stones, to lay at the foundation of the house with cut stones. A very fascinating thing about how they did the work. It tells us in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, that there were no noise of tools at the work site because they did the cutting of the stone at the quarry. So they did their measuring and things and cutting at the quarry, got it the right size, and then brought it to the temple site where they're going to put it together. Amazing wisdom in place here, and yet we see God's provision to make all this happen. And uh, looking at verse 18, just kind of summarizing, we see these people operating in partnership. It says, so Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the Gebelites cut them and prepared the timbers and the stones to build the house. So as a summary statement, we've got these various groups of people working together to do the work that is to be accomplished on the temple. So God is providing a partnership to get all this work done. So, thinking about the temple here, some concluding thoughts for us. The temple was a mammoth project. It's a mammoth project. But as we said, a project requires doing planning and preparation ahead of time. And we see in this chapter, though, we might be inclined to skip it, and just go right through it, because, hey, it's, it's getting ready for the building. It's a bunch of numbers. Um, I think it is a great encouragement to us about the importance of preparing for the work of God and recognizing that it is God himself who provides for his work. God is the one who said to David, you're not going to build the temple, but your son will. And God promised that this work was going to be done, and he intended to get it done through Solomon. So it is an encouragement to us to remember that God will provide the people, the resources, the wisdom, and strength to carry out the work that he intends to do. So what do we do if we lack these things that we need? Well, if we lack, like we saw in James, we ask. We ask for his help, his provision, his wisdom. If we aren't getting what we need, perhaps we're ahead of his timing, or in some cases, perhaps we're doing the wrong things. And we need to get his wisdom on getting the focus correct. But ultimately, we need to trust God to provide the resources for his work because he will provide, and we need to trust him and obey him. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this example from 1 Kings. We thank you as another example of how you provide. Father, we often don't understand how things are working out in our own lives, in the church. Sometimes it's confusing to us, and we're impatient, but we pray for your wisdom and provision, and encourage, we pray that you'd encourage us that you are faithful. Help us to trust you and wait on you. 
And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord, Psalm 150, verse 6. 